You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. For the last uh, several episodes, we've been working our way through the Epistle of James. This is episode 52 of Equipping the Saints. We've covered uh, many and a wide variety of topics so far. And for the last um, seven or eight episodes, we've been in James. We're going to begin James chapter 2 today in this episode 52. Uh, Pastor, before we uh, do that, can you uh, give us a summary of James chapter 1? Just a a brief summary of what we've covered so far. Well, uh, we've talked about how James is a pastor in Jerusalem. Uh, It's in the early days of the church, uh, and it's uh, probably not terribly long after the martyrdom of Stephen. And uh, there's an increasing persecution within the church. And so James is preparing his people to face that persecution and to uh, stay strong in the faith in the midst of it. Um, And as a part of that, and this is, I think, where we're going to head today, uh, he talked a little bit about how uh, the church stays united together and needs to be united to face these challenges that arise. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit more. Excuse me. Any uh, any surprises uh, as we've been digging deep into uh, every word of the epistle, James? Any surprises um, that you had maybe with some presuppositions that were um, enforced or put aside? Well, I think um, there are many presuppositions about James that it's um, not very Lutheran. The quote from Luther always is, it's an epistle of straw. Uh, and it's uh, you know really contradicts our Lutheran faith in terms of works righteousness, uh, but we've so far seen that's not the case, and that actually it is pretty Lutheran, and it's speaking about the Christian life while still upholding justification. And we've seen, especially I think this is maybe surprising, that Paul and James uh, seem to be saying the same things and get along well as also. I that's probably been my most uh, pleasant <coughs> surprise. With regard to the book of James, it is a a marvelous little epistle, and I'm looking forward to digging into James chapter 2. What uh, what I want to look at this particular episode, I want to look at James 2, 1 to 7. 
Uh, it's not a, a chapter break, but there's a, uh, in most English translations, there's a paragraph break after verse 7. So that's my goal for today. Vicar, James 2, 1 to 7, take it away. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Okay, there we have it. And uh, you, can, you can see how many of the topics that are in our headlines today um, seem to almost flow or be connected to some of the words here. And uh, that's why James is used, especially a couple of these verses here, used in some uh, rather sketchy ways. And we want to make sure that we, uh, we do justice to the words, uh, the word of God through James and uh, to the context of the book of James as well. Verse 1, Pastor my brothers, you have emphasized this over and over and over through nearly every episode. James is a pastor, a parish pastor, and he's writing not only to his congregation, but to the church at large. What is the significance here that James, again, this is not the first time it's happened in James, but in chapter 2, James emphasizes the fact that he is speaking to my brothers. What's this all about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is really interesting coming from James, who was literally the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and um who rejected Christ for much of Christ's life, and it wasn't until the resurrection uh, that uh, this changes. At which point, what's Jesus say when he gets up from the dead? He says, go and tell my brothers, uh, meaning the church, the disciples, those who follow him. And James has taken that same language from the resurrected Christ, and now he's using it to address um, the, the members of his congregation, saying the thing that unites us together is that... Um, to use our modern idea, we're adopted into God's family through the waters of holy baptism. And in that sense, we all are uh, related. We all are um, brothers and sisters in Christ as a result of that baptism. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, James is speaking to Christians. He is right. speaking to fellow believers. This is not a book uh, that is primarily destined or uh, primarily uh, intended for unbelievers. Of course, anybody can listen to the word of God, but the words they see that he's writing here are specifically to believers. And I think this is important that we, we hammer this thing home because if you don't understand that, 
there are so many places in this book where you can go off the rails. And uh, later on in chapter two, when we get to the whole thing about good works, if you don't realize who he's talking to, that's where you go off the rails. So you can be ready for that, folks. My brothers, do uh, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, we can talk about the titles of Jesus here, but I want to focus on this word partiality. What is it? What isn't it? He says, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christians, and he says, as you remain Christians, as you hold the faith in Jesus Christ, show no partiality. Uh, this this is not just uh, uh, a proverb about fairness. He's talking about a specific poor part of the Christian walk. What what is this partiality thing, Pastor? Yeah, in the the Greek, the word is prosopolempsia. Um, that's a mouthful to say, but it, that's what the word is. And uh, what it means is uh, respect of persons or personal favoritism. Uh, it has this idea that um, you're choosing one person uh, over another uh, for some sort of external reason. And uh, that's, again, then denying the thing we just kind of talked about, that we are Christians, that we have the faith that we share together. Um, and this is... This is, just. let's just take us, Pastor Poppy. You and I have no idea who gives what amount in the congregation. Correct. On purpose. Correct. On purpose. So that um, when uh, Mr. Rich is in the hospital at the same time that Mr. Poor is in the hospital, we don't go visit Mr. Rich and forget about Mr. Poor because we're looking for a, a large... Um, donation when he kicks the bucket, you know, or, or uh, a large thank you gift personally to the pastor, right? Like a golf club membership or uh, a new shotgun or Ooh, something like that. Now we're talking. See, see uh, and our hearers. I mean, if you've lived any life, you know that there are pastors like this. Yes, because this is how the world works. Um, There's Christians like it too, and it's not just pastors, right? And it can be about a variety of topics, um, not just money. That's the easy one to talk about. No. The, uh, when we're talking about showing hospitality in the congregation, you right. can, you can uh, you know, the person who has uh, the appearance of being rich and famous, you can shower them with your affection and your hospitality and completely ignore the person in rags. Uh, and there are so many examples that we could go on here. Lenski... Um, says that this uh, this partiality word is the act of being partial to a person when one sees who he is a right. judge That's is guilty of a judge is guilty of this when he does not consider the just merits of a case but the standing of the man on trial men generally do this if a friend does wrong they close an eye and call it right if a rich or a powerful man comes along they toady him neither the plural nor the singular of this noun are Hebraic. Okay. No one is above the law. <laughs> See, uh, I, was, I was just going to bring this up to you know, some of the contemporary things we're talking about as we record this. Because we have seen in our justice system where 
the the justice system is not always fair. It is not equally applied. Now, you might say that it is sometimes uh, misapplied on a racial basis when it comes to capital punishment. There are a lot of studies out there with that. We had people who were arrested for walking on the beach uh, when things were locked down. And at the same time, we had hundreds of thousands of people rioting in the street um, in, the sum- in the summer of 2020 that were hailed as heroes and were not arrested. And so you don't have to look very far uh, with, with Lenski's uh, judicial example here. And even in our world today, like um, the partiality could be shown to the poorer person, right? Those are the people that we need to focus on and we need to do this or that for them to the um, ignoring of the average person, right? And and, and, and we so, see that we see that in so many tenets of liberation theology. And that's where we need to, uh, as Christians, treat people the same in that regard, in regard to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? What our concern ultimately is, uh, is the person going to heaven or are they going to hell? And what word do they need to hear uh, in terms of that so that we can have that unity of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul says it this way, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are freely justified through the blood of Jesus. In Christ, as we're talking to Christians, we're all the same. Sinners justified by Jesus. Now, that does not change the fact that men are men and women are women, and uh, old people are different from young people, and all—I mean, all of those human uh, distinctions are there. But spiritually, we're one in Christ. We got to take a break. Equipping the Saints. We'll be right back. You are listening to K N N A. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is episode 52 of Equipping the Saints. I look back in my notes, and we began our study of the book of James with episode 44. Episode 44. We did an intro to the book of James and have been uh, working our way verse by verse ever since. We're uh, parking the car at James 2. Hopefully we'll get through one uh, verses 1 through 7 on uh, this episode. We'll keep plugging away here. Um, verse 1, uh, I think there's a little more meat on the bone here. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Um, Pastor, this uh, title of Jesus the Lord of glory. I mean, we have hymns in our hymnal, uh, you know, that talk about Jesus as the Lord of glory and God of God of glory. Um, help me out here. Why is, uh, is there a specific reason why James would emphasize that name at this particular point? Well, um, 
I think it shows us where the unity of the church is. It's in Christ and what the important thing in the church is. It's Jesus Christ and his glory. What is that? Well, it's his uh, crucifixion and death to forgive all of our sins. And that's the thing then that gives us hope. And you remember, if he's trying to prepare his congregation to face coming persecution and to deal with persecution already coming, What's the hope that they have if they face persecution? Well, that Jesus Christ has overcome the world in his glory by dying and rising again. And so he's setting the stage on what's the real important thing, not to have partiality between one another, but instead to uh, hold fast the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. Uh, that's well said, and uh, for those of you that are listening, if you uh, if you were at our uh, Holy Monday worship service in the year of our Lord, 2023, uh, Vicar Kirstein preached a, a marvelous servant, sermon on the glory of Jesus, and I uh, don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but it should be archived on our YouTube page, and uh, I don't know if, if uh, Vicar Audio recorded that sermon. Do you audio record your sermons? All right, we ought to get you started doing that. But... Um, uh, I would check that out, and also the gospel reading, uh, the traditional gospel reading for Holy Tuesday has the word glory in it about seven or eight times, and in John chapter 12, it talks about how people loved the glory of man rather than the glory of God, and I think that ties in really, really well with James 2 verse 1. We get so impressed with all these things of this world, um, you know, uh, money, power, stature, fame. Uh, I've got a greener lawn than you do, Pastor, and uh, you've got a nicer garden than I do. And so we both have uh, agricultural, horticultural envy of each other, that kind of a thing. And uh, there is no limit to the partiality that we can show. And James is saying that in Christ Jesus, this is off limits. This is sin. We are one in Christ Jesus. Let your glory be in him. Lenski on page 563 says this, we who believe in a savior that is so infinitely glorious, see the utter vanity of all earthly glory and rise above being impressed by it as worldly men are foolishly impressed. I think that sums up this verse extremely well. Vicar, um, we've got a little bit of an illustration now coming in uh, verses 2 and 3. Would you want to get that fresh in our hearer's mind? For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit at my feet. Have you not made then distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, I think uh, two through four need to be read together and uh, taken together as a unit. Pastor, this uh, gold ring and fine clothing, you're, you're kind of the, uh, well, you're certainly our resident expert with regard to the culture at this particular time. What would it mean if somebody came in with uh, a gold ring and fine clothing? Well, um, 
Gold ring uh, it probably means uh, a status of an office or, uh, you know, having a, a certain status in society in terms of uh, that's the, play, the thing you use to mark um, the things that belong to you. Uh, we see lots of bullae uh, from even the ancient times before the Roman time uh, where people have their goods and they mark them with clay bullae and uh, there's a symbol carved into the ring that indicates this belongs to an individual. Even that's how we know, for example, King Hezekiah really existed. We have uh, remains of jars and uh, uh, clay bullae that marked other things that said this belonged to Hezekiah. And so you have these gold rings which are expensive that uh, uh, cost money that have these Images carved oftentimes into gems or jewels that indicate your status. And the fine clothing, uh, you also have all these different levels of clothing um, that are differentiated not only um, in the quality of fabric. Obviously, finer fabric costs more than thicker fabric. What's it made out of? Is it linen, which is more expensive because of the process to take the flax and make it into linen? Uh, is it made from wool, which is cheaper and easier to make? Uh, is it Egyptian linen or is it uh, local linen? Is the linen dyed a particular color? Each different color uh, indicated a status marker as well because every dye was different in the way that it worked and how much it took to uh, uh, pay to have that particular color made into your clothes. So all of these things have the ability to mark status and to divide um, divide the congregation. We see the same thing today, right? We live in Nebraska. When you see the person coming to church with the um, Penn State hat on, how does that make you feel? Or in the old days, you know, Pastor Poppy wore the Husker stuff, but now uh, he's a fan of uh, Kansas, you know, and so uh, how does that uh, divide the congregation now that he's cheering for them? <laughs> And it's, it's for a good reason, right? One of our former members uh, yeah. works there. But, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know that that divides the congregation. <laughs> I'm still a Husker fan. Well, you know, yeah. in North Dakota, there was a big divide between North Dakota State fans and University of North Dakota fans. Same in, tech, in Kansas with uh, University of Kansas and Kansas State. So are you wearing blue or purple, right? Or are you wearing right. in North Dakota... Uh, green or green and yellow. Uh, so they have these divisions, and they're silly. And I guess that's the point that he's but, trying to make. It yeah, is they're silly. Si they're silly, <laughs> but they're, rule, uh, they're real. And the point James is making is they are silly. The, uh, the distinction between the rich and the poor that uh, James brings out in uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 4, is uh, very, very relevant because we see this happening all the time. Um, James is talking about people who come and visit church. He's talking about visitors in the assembly. Uh, James says, uh, uh, Lenski says, at this time, the idea of Gentiles wandering into a synagogue would have been unheard of. So these are, are two Jewish visitors. They're of the same status that way. The only difference is one is rich and one is poor. And people are impressed by the outward clothing. People are impressed by the outward appearance of the one visitor, and they're very unimpressed by the lowly appearance of the other visitor. And they act on that. They don't keep these feelings to themselves. They act on it. And that's what makes this 
partiality, the sin of partiality by how they act. It, it's, uh, let's say, for example, um, we have some um, famous dignitary that is visiting Lincoln this Sunday. Okay? And this famous dignitary comes to church here at Good Shepherd. And we are so impressed that he would lower himself and come to our church out of all the churches in Lincoln. And he would lower himself to, to make his presence with us. Maybe, maybe even eat a donut and drink coffee at your table. And you would be so starry-eyed and wildly, uh, that's what we're talking about. And this, there is a historical precedent for this um, in the Roman Empire. Um, the Bishop of Rome, and this is before he was the Pope, when he was just pastor, um, was the pastor of the emperor. And um, there's a big conflict uh, with one of the emperors where the the pastor put him on church discipline because of something that he did. Can you do that? Um, and we see the same problem today, right? The pastors of our leaders, do they put them on church discipline when they do something that's evil or wicked, or do they let it go because they're a famous politician and they donate a lot of money to the congregation? Um, you can't do that as Christians. <laughs> God's word is God's word, and that needs to be the same across the board. Uh, so we're talking about sinful partiality, sinful distinctions. Here in the context of James chapter 2, we're talking about the distinction between rich and poor. Vicar, it seems to me that earlier in our podcast here, uh, in James chapter 1, we had also some talk about rich and poor. You want to read verses uh, 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 1? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Uh, James is just expanding in greater detail on these verses that he had here earlier. And uh, if you want to check out our detailed discussion of those verses in chapter 1, uh, that is episode 48, episode 48 of Equipping the Saints. Here, uh, I believe the conclusion we drew was that uh, the lowly brother is lowly because he acknowledges his own sinfulness. And God exalts him through the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the rich person doesn't think of the richness that he has uh, and that he, he is uh, exalted in Christ, not exalted in his worldly status or his worldly riches. Does that ring a bell, Pastor? It does, and I, I want to bring it back historically to the situation. Um, and, you know, luckily we have uh, historical records. Specifically, if you want to read about this, read Josephus, um, that in Jerusalem, where James is the pastor and where he's writing this, there is this uh, great distinction. There is the upper city, now known as Zion, where there are big mansions, and then there's a valley, and in the valley there's little tiny huts or insulae, uh, as they're called in uh, Rome, kind of little apartments that the poor people lived in. And there is this distinction. And so you can 
see James having members of his congregation living in both places, and he is trying to unite the entire congregation in the truth of Jesus Christ our Lord. We, uh, we see some of that in Paul's discussion of the Lord's Supper uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, where we have, you know, the people who have lots of stuff, lots of food, and the people who have very little, and they want to celebrate this love feast, and the distinctions and the divisions between rich and poor there. So this is nothing new. Uh, This is a common problem in the early church, and it continues to be a problem with us today. The sin of partiality. We'll be back and continue our look at James 2. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship sometime. Uh, we'd love to have you every Sunday morning at 8 and 10.30 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Wednesday evening year-round at 6.30. During the uh, special holiday seasons, church holidays, check our uh, church website for extra services because we usually have lots of them. I would also encourage you to check out our uh, podcast. Uh, we, we've always used Anchor, but Anchor just got bought out by somebody. Uh, help me out here. Spotify. Spotify. And so if you do a Google search for Anchor, you're probably not going to find anything. It'll take you to Spotify, and that's okay. Do a search for KNNA Theological Programming. And I think we have approaching 700 hours of programming on um, KNNA theological programming. And uh, I had a fellow pastor uh, who heard about my retirement and said, uh, Pastor, you're uh, retiring too young, and I wish you would keep going, but you have been so prolific with all of the podcasts that you have put out, and I just want to thank you for that. And I'm just a small part of the podcasts that are on the KNNA Theological uh, Programming site. But um, it, it really gave me pause that um, we've, got, we've got people that really appreciate this and uh, are, are finding some, um, some good meat in some of the things that we've done. And so uh, thank you. For that, check them out. KNNA Theological Programming. This is episode fifty-two of Equipping the Saints. We um, we were we're looking we're looking at James chapter two, and in our last segment, we looked at verses two, three, and four. They need to be read together as a unit, and we were talking about the sin of partiality, the sin of partiality. And uh, I want to give Vicar a, a little time because. The, uh, the question that always comes up when you get into this section, when you talk about the sin of partiality, is all partiality sinful? Or is there such a thing as godly partiality? Vicar, uh, share with us your thoughts on that, because I think, I think they're very good. Sure. So to answer the question, is all partiality bad? The answer is no. Now, within the context of the church, it's very clear here, in the assembly of God, in the church, you shall not show this partiality. 
But in the world, there is a correct order in which we do show partiality. So, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So in our various vocations in life, we are called to show partiality. So you should take care of your wife and your children first and foremost before you donate to things like the animal shelter or any other thing. And then from Galatians... Victor hates animals. Just wanted wanted everybody to make it clear on that. No, you're spot on, Vicar. Keep going. You're on a roll. In Galatians 6, then, verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, as, as people in the world, we have a responsibility, then, to show partiality, first to the people of our own household, and then also to the household of God, and then working out from there to our broader communities, to our neighbors, to our counties, cities, states, and nation, and so on. So there's a proper order there that's followed with regard to this partiality. And it's not bad. It's good. It's well-ordered. It's well-ordered, and it's God-ordered, so it can't be bad. Um, In our uh, Sunday morning Bible study here recently, we've been working through the book on outreach by Pastor Andrew Richard called Be at Leisure, and he has a circle of outreach that is just almost exactly what you painted with your words. Outreach begins in the congregation, and you need to be faithful to the Word of God before you can do anything else. And then the next ring is family, uh, to take care of your family, to uphold and extol marriage and God's gift of children. And then, and only then, does it branch out, and then it branches out to people from the congregation and family that have strayed away. And then the last, very last ring is others. And this does not mean you don't love everyone or don't love other people, but God has set things up in an ordered way. And quite frankly, uh, you're talking about people that... uh, you know, send money to the animal shelter but can't feed their kids, that that would be sin. That would be absolute sin. You are to show partiality in that way. Now, you can do it sinfully um, because, you know, going to the animal shelter, that's not necessarily a bad cause. But, uh, I mean, if you go and go to the casino and then can't pay your rent, that's a whole different kind of, uh, different kind of sin. But what we're talking about here is those things that the world would look at and Christians probably would look at as good and God-pleasing things. If you're sending all your money overseas for foreign missions and not putting anything in the uh, collection plate to help your local congregation, that is a sin. That is not taking care of your own before you take care of those on the outside. And you can certainly do both, and we give as the Lord has blessed us. Pastor, are you, are you with us here? Are you uh, nervous about anything that we said with regard to not all partiality is sin? No, I'm not nervous about the explanation. I'd say that's God's good order that's built into creation. And I, I would say the partiality part is when we go 
beyond that, right? And uh, it's the, uh, in God's good order, it's not rich or poor. Uh, it is the, the Christian or not Christian, right? And so um, I don't know that that's what James is saying, you know. I, I think we're on the same page, all three of us, when we're talking about it. Okay. I don't know if I'm making sense now. Yep, yep. <laughs> yes. we got to keep moving here. Uh, I made a vow. No, I didn't make a vow. I just hoped we'd get through uh, chapter or verse 7. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers. Again, he emphasizes this beloved brothers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember who you are. Every time he says that, our brotherhood is in Christ Jesus. Rem- or listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Boy, Pastor, there are a lot of people who do some really, really naughty things with this particular verse. There Uh, are. (laughs) It's impossible for rich people to be Christians, they may say. Uh, Poor people uh, are to be... Uh, more highly exalted than uh, anybody of uh, a more financial status, kind of the uh, liberation theology, uh, the poor are exalted, the rich must be torn down. You can, um, you can see some, some shades, and it's going to become out even more here in the next two verses of this uh, Marxist dualism between oppressor and the oppressed kind of a thing. Let's, let's just cut to the chase. What is James saying when he says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich and faith and heirs of the kingdom? Yeah, so imagine that the um, rich man and the poor man come in the doors of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. And um, a well, let's just say Pastor Poppy. Pastor Poppy goes up and he sees from outward uh, appearances that one is rich and one is poor. And he goes right over and starts catering to the rich person and ignores the other one and uh, doesn't say anything to them. And this is the issue James is directly addressing, right? Uh, Fulfilling what he already laid out earlier, even in chapter 1. So he says, listen, Pastor Poppy, aren't poor people going to go to heaven too? Shouldn't we not show the partiality to the one and not the other one? That's all he's saying. He's not saying rich people are going to hell. He's saying treat them the same because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Treat them the same uh, in that regard. That's what he's saying. It's not that rich are going to hell and poor are going to heaven based on that status. He's just saying, don't forget the one. Remember the context. I agree with with you, Pastor. Thank you. Uh, Remember the context here. James 2, are you ready for this, Vicar? Very profound. James 2 comes after James 1. And uh, it's always it's always important to keep these things. Uh, Is that in, how counting works? Yes, it's important to keep these things straight. But uh, very seriously, James chapter 1, verse 12, and I said I think this is uh, kind of the, the core verse that we need to keep coming back to. James is explaining the riches that we have. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Not a crown of silver, not a crown of gold, not a crown of rubies, not even a, an athletic crown.
crown, you know, like a trophy or anything like that, but the crown of life, everlasting life in and through Jesus Christ. This is our true riches that God has given us. And in uh, James uh, 2, verse 5, God has chosen those who are poor in the world. We need to make sure that we don't uh, do some kind of funky predestination thing here. Um, we also have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Whether that's parable or not, that's a discussion for another day. But um, there are so many temptations and so many potential trials that come along with our wealth. Jesus says it's easier for um, a man to go through the eye of a needle than for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. He's not saying it's impossible for rich people to go to heaven. He's just saying it's really tough because of all the temptations, temptations to idolatry. And I think we're talking here about those who are poor in the world in one respect don't have these extra temptations to deal with. Are you tracking with me, Pastor? Yeah, and I think that the next verse, uh, you know, clarifies that even more, right? Because what's the issue? Verse 6, you have dishonored the poor man, right? That's the issue is that the the Christian, the church uh, member is catering to the one and not to, to the whole. And uh, that's not the way the church works. How many How many churches haven't you heard of that have been torn asunder— that uh, have have really begun the be, uh, a slide to irrelevancy or even closing the door because you had one or two rich people in the church, big givers, and they let everybody know that they were big givers, and they expected their vote to carry more weight. They expected their actions to be uh, more appreciated, uh, lavished upon, and in so doing, they gave the impression, whether they intended to or not, that people who were not as wealthy financially as them uh, just weren't that important. It happens. I'm not, I'm not saying that people who do this do it intentionally, although some do. But we, we see this play out in the congregation, in the local congregation all the time. And James, as a pastor of a local congregation, loves his people enough to warn them against it. Equipping the saints, James chapter 2, we need to take a break. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. We are uh, beginning our look at James chapter 2 today, and we want to look at verses 1 through 7. In our first three segments, we've made it through verse 5. Vicar, would you read 1 through 7 in uh, James chapter 2 to give us the context, and then we're going to zero in on verses 6 and 7. 
My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Okay, a couple of um, hardcore verses that we're going to be looking at here, Pastor, in verses 6 and 7 of James chapter 2. We have talked about the sin of partiality. We have talked about uh, when people come into the assembly, um, we would say visitors to the worship service or visitors to Bible study today, and uh, one is rich visibly, and one is poor visibly, that it is a sin to show partiality. We've also talked about how uh, not all partiality is sin, and in God's created order, he has given us our vocations, and um, we need to not sin against our vocation in order to bend over backwards to give the impression that we're being fair and impartial. So here now, uh, kind of the conclusion of this first part of the argument, he's talking about think of, think of what you've witnessed. Think of the behavior. We just finished verse 5. Uh, has not God chosen who, those who are poor in the world to be rich? Not rich in the world, but rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Uh, takes us back to James 1, verse 12, uh, the crown of life to, that God has promised to those who love him. We've got the same phrase there, so we've got that intimate connection. And now, continuing on, you brought this up right at the end, Pastor, but you have dishonored the poor man. How is this sin of partiality, Pastor? Let's make this crystal clear. How is this sin of partiality dishonoring the poor man? What? And it's the and based on the context, it's the poor man who is rich in Christ. Right. It's uh, kind of denying them for a worldly purpose. Right. It shows what it really does is it confesses who your God is. Right. If I. If I cater to that rich person who comes into the door more than the poor person, it means that my God isn't Jesus. It means my God is um, money. And if you are, I'll throw this one to Vicar. If you are dishonoring the poor man who believes in Christ, who are you really dishonoring? Ultimately, you're dishonoring God. You are dishonoring God. You are dishonoring the Christ who bled and died for that poor person and uh, who has forgiven that poor person's sin. In a sense, you're saying, um, I love the whole idea of status and wealth and popularity more than I like the forgiveness of sins. And I don't think anybody would be so base as to come right out and say that. 
But in our actions, many times that's exactly what's going on. Continuing on in verse 5, their, their pastor, um, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Isn't James uh, stretching things a little bit here? Do, do all the rich do this? Is James painting a, uh, a sinful stereotype here? I mean, um, do all the rich do this? I don't know that James would say that, right? But generally speaking, who are the ones dealing with these court cases, right? And what are the content of a lot of them, right? Uh, You owe this much because of this. You haven't paid your taxes or you have uh, this issue. And so he's making a generalization, sure, but it's one that's based in fact and reality. And so I don't think we can hold him guilty for that. That, That's To do that uh, would be... Um, anachronistic historical falsehoods, right? We're taking our own modern ideas and trying to read them into uh, an ancient world that is entirely different. Well, and sometimes our modern ideas keep us from maybe some some or all of the truth of what James is saying. If I can read uh, from page 568 of Lenski's commentary on James, and this is in regard to verse 6. James is speaking of the rich Jews, who were for the most part Sadducees, and at this period, A.D. 35 to 65, were the tyrannous oppressors of the poorer Jews, and thus also made a specialty of harassing Christian Jews. The Roman government allowed the Jews in the diaspora a great deal of legal control over their own nationals. We see this when Saul carries letters to Damascus to arrest Christian Jews, Acts 9, verse 2, and when he speaks of persecuting them even unto foreign cities, Acts 26, verse 11. In Corinth, the preconsul Gallio reminds, remands Paul's accusers to the Jewish tribunal to try him there if he has been guilty of an infraction of Jewish law. Rich and powerful Jews in the diaspora were thus able to maltreat poor Jews and especially Christian Jews by dragging them before the synagogue, courts, or judgment seats. Comments on that, Pastor? There's a a lot from the Acts of the Apostles. There's a lot of historical content. I want your reflection on that. He's exactly right. He said it very well. Okay. And so, I mean... We're, we're talking, we, we said earlier in this episode, that we're not talking about Christians who had bumbled into the worship service. We're talking about Jews uh, who are visiting the synagogue, a rich and a poor. Um, in our current culture, it's, it's almost uh, impossible to say the word Jew or speak as Scripture speaks without all kinds of crazy accusations and charges coming against you. And I think because of this, some Christians um, just avoid the topic altogether. You think that's fair, Pastor? I, th- I think so. Um, and I, I think it's hard to do so. It's hard to talk about the situation in the ancient world because of all the things that have happened since then. And the way we think as a result of all the ideas that have been invented and come up with since that time. And that's where um, 
we need to be fair to what the text is saying and what James is saying and the situation that he's dealing with. Um, it is the rich people in the ancient world who had the money and the ability and the financial uh, wherewithal to actually prosecute cases. And that's how you operated as a rich person back then. And the poor people were often at the receiving end of that. And James is pointing that out. He's not saying rich people won't go to heaven if they have faith in Christ. He's not saying poor people won't go to heaven if they have faith in Christ. And um, he's saying the one thing that unites all these different people, um, so long as they have it, is the faith in Jesus Christ. And that that's the thing then that is uh, central behind what all he's saying. Well said. Okay. Um, verse 7 continues on the thought and we've got this um, we've got this uh, disparity disparity with the with the Jews we've got the rich Jews that are persecuting the poor Jews and then as many of the poor Jews are converted to Christianity the rich Jews are not only persecuting the poor Jews but also the poor new Christians and so we got this thing going back here and Paul's a pastor and Paul is trying to appeal to the blood of Jesus Christ, to the crown of life. James? Did I? Did I, what did I you say? said Paul. Oh, Paul. Yep. Yeah, James. But, well, they both do. They both but, do. But yeah. here, here we're talking James. Sorry, uh, slip of the tongue. In verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, again, he's talking about the rich. These, these rich Jews that are, that are persecuting uh, the poor and have corrupted the court system. And he says, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? What is this honorable name by which they have been called, Vicar? It's the name of Jesus Christ that supplied to you in holy baptism. Amen. Amen. That's when God puts his name on you, uh, puts the name of Christ on you, when the Holy Spirit indwells in you, when Good Friday and Easter is delivered to you at the baptismal font. Pastor, what does it mean to blaspheme God? Uh, it is to not allow him to be God, but to make yourself God, to deny that he's God and make yourself or something God in his place. Okay, so that sounds pretty serious. It is not a good thing. It, uh, it is uh, hellacious, to use Kuhlman's terminology, a hellacious sin. Is blasphemy uh, a type of idolatry, or are they synonymous? I'd say they go hand in hand. They do. They, uh, they are very, very closely related. Because to have an idol means to necessarily deny the actual true God. Okay. Uh, Vicar, throughout the pages of Scripture, uh, how seriously does God take the sin of blasphemy? Well, he made a commandment about it, <laughs> so pretty seriously. And then throughout we see, it goes poorly for you should you blaspheme God's name. Okay. This, this is as bad as it gets. Yes. This is as bad as it gets. So when you see in Scripture the words like abomination, or blasphemy. These are not words that are thrown around uh, casually. This is, this is as serious 
as it gets. And so we may think that um, our sin of partiality or uh, not recognizing certain partiality is not sin, we might think that, that these things are really just not that big a deal. But God's word says to commit these sins is to blaspheme God. And uh, not only are we to avoid that kind of blasphemy ourselves, but we are to avoid those who are doing the blaspheming. Uh, as Paul would say, mark and avoid. Pastor, I'll give you the last word. I think, too, I mean, so go back into the ancient world of Jerusalem, right? These rich Sadducees who are in charge of the temple are at this time still led by the very people who lied against Christ, who put false accusations against Christ, who had him crucified, who lied about him in front of the, um, you know, the political government of uh, Pontius Pilate. Uh, and so, you know, to all of a sudden bend over backwards to welcome someone like that into your congregation and ignore the poor person, that's the thing James is saying. Let's, let's just quit this nonsense. Let's be honest. Let's tell the truth. And let's treat all of us as Christians. Christ's glory is in the cross where he bled and died for the life of the world. Our glory is in Christ, bleeding and dying, and three days later rising from the dead. Thanks for tuning in to Equipping the Saints. This was episode 52. We'll be back again soon. God's richest blessings in Jesus. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.